Good morning and welcome everybody. We, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? Look... Look, I'm alive and that's always a good thing. I'm like, here, I woke up. It's like, these are all good things. I have a little bit of hay fever, which makes me very thankful for when I can smell normally. Like, it's just like a teeny bit, but it's just nothing I'm like, I'll never take it for granted again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I must say that uh, I've been cupping a bit of hay fever myself. Yeah. It's coming into spring though. It's it is. Brilliant. I'm so happy. <laughs> and and the and the bad thing about it is is that it's very socially unacceptable to have hay fever I know. during COVID. No, I know you can't have anything. You can't have a cough. You can't have anything. Every time I blow my nose or cough, I sort of think: Look Are people looking at me? Are they are they wondering whether I have COVID? Uh huh. And you know, it's just hay fever, guys. It's just hay fever. It's all good. It's just hay fever. And you have to clarify it, right? That's like right. Every other year, it's like, ah, oh, it's just niggly and whatever. But this, you're like, no, 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 no. I'm safe. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling uh, this morning? I'm feeling just wonderful. Good. Yeah, That's just ideal. wonderful. Yep, just yeah. wonderful. What are you thankful for in particular? Ooh, what am I thankful for? Well, you know, I would have to say I'm very thankful that the sun has been out the past few days. Like I was just. Was it Friday? I was just like, I'm going to need to be outside. And then Saturday, I was like, I'm going to need to be outside. And then Sunday, I was like, now the problem is with my uni, assessment happens at the end of semester. And I'm like, but by then the sun's out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good. I just went in the garden yesterday and did like a bunch of uni work. So I'm just, I'm very thankful that spring and summer is on its way back to me. So you would prefer assessment to happen after like the first week of the semester? Well, look, And then you can just stressful. sort of relax for the rest? But yeah. You know, go and enjoy the sun. <laughs> First semester's fine because winter's coming and it's cold and miserable, so you're like, that's fine, I'll just do it all inside. But, yeah, it's just second second semester when summer's on its way. Well, just just take your books outside. You'll be good. I do. I yes. do. <laughs> you're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What's happening in positively different news? Okay, so, again, another, I think last week I shared a story that I was like, this is the epitome of Australian stories. No, no, there's another. <laughs> so there's a man... Mark Muscat, who has developed the unique talent of, at least to the human ear, perfectly replicate, replicating the magpie call. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Okay. I was like, this is the best story. <laughs> so he can talk to magpies. He can speak magpie. Yeah. So as magpies... That's not approaches. an easy bird call. No. And it's actually, I was listening to, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like... He, and basically what he said was he was like five or six at the time when this started and he was being swooped as... Yes. I like to do. Um, and he basically just, he said, I turned around and basically just called back and they stopped sweeping me and I've been doing it ever since. And it works. Yeah. He said they peeled off the attack and looked very confused. <laughs> and I think it said that he's about, he's late 50s, maybe like 60. So he's been doing this a long time. He has this, perfected this art. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, so he's been doing this for years and years and years, obviously, but it's only recently he's been making some talk, TikTok videos, and so that's what got him the media attention. Ah, so he's become famous now. Yes, to the point that people are offering him cash jobs to like uh-huh. sing songs, like footy songs, birthday songs. He said, <laughs> and for him, he's like, it's really weird. Like, <laughs> they're calling a grown man <laughs> to make magpie songs. And he said the one that topped it was the guy who asked if he could sing a proposal song of Here Comes the Bride in Magpie. In Magpie. <laughs> in Magpie. <laughs> is this not the most Australian thing? <laughs> oh, that is that is just, that is epic. Oh, I just thought it was so funny. Anyway, so yeah, all his family, they're just like, 
Okay, like he's been doing this for years. It's just Mark doing his little magpie thing. Um, but yeah, he just does. He do other bird calls as well, or just magpie? Doesn't seem to just right. magpie. But he, yeah, he, there was a video of him that I just briefly watched because like I'm gonna need to watch some of these. Um, don't have TikTok, just watch it online. And yeah, there was this one. He's just like going for his little ride on his bike, and there's just like a magpie just chilling on his helmet, and he's just like there talking to it. They are some of the most incredibly intelligent creatures on the planet, magpies. Mm. And talking about bird calls, I'm just going to have a little bit of a uh, bit of a brag about family history for a moment. Oh. My great uncle mm-hmm. was the Australian bird call champion for seven years straight. <laughs> and after the seventh year, they banned him from competing because they're like, "No, you can be a judge now," because nobody's going to beat him. And what happened was that when he was young, mm-hmm. he grew up in uh, East Gippsland, and uh, he and his brother, my my grandfather, used to. Um, Hunt foxes and roos and so forth, but mm. mostly foxes for skins. That was that was what they did. They, they were born in a bark hut mm-hmm. with a dirt floor. You know that was back mm. in the day, and they used to call the foxes in with all these different calls that they learned how to make. And my great uncle just continued with it, and he would go and sit in the bush. Uh-huh. You know, just sort of, sort of sit quietly in the bush anywhere and start listening to the birds, identify whatever birds there were around him, start doing their bird calls, and sooner or later they'd be they'd be sitting, you know, on a branch beside him, looking at him like, "Who are you? Why are you? Why <laughs> are you talking?" You know? to me? Sometimes they, it was not uncommon they would land on his head. These wild birds, wow. they'd land on his head, they'd land on his shoulder, they'd be looking at him. Doing, you know, they ha- he had a mopoke owl one time <laughs> in the middle of the night around the campfire, came and landed on top of his hat. Amazing. Yeah. Do you reckon, okay, so with making these sounds, do you reckon it's actually communicating with the animals in some way, even if you don't know what you were saying, or is it just like, do they communicate or do they just make these lovely sounds that people can replicate? They can communicate, but how detailed that communication mm. is, I don't think we've ever been able to discover as human beings. Yeah. yeah. And so it might be a little bit like uh, you do bird calls and the bird's like, what is this human <laughs> saying? This random sentences, those words make Doesn't no make sense, sense at all. Let me go over there and have a look and see what's going on. Yes, yeah, so it's like you've got to have words, but wrong everything. Or maybe maybe it's just the sound. It's like, mm. okay, that's uh, that's my species. I recognise that species. Let me go and talk to that species. That's a human species doing my species. That's confusing. You know, <laughs> I don't know how it works. Yeah, yeah. But it's really incredible that's when you can amazing. master that skill. How how long did your? Wait, who did you say this was? Your my great uncle. He did it for great-uncle. his entire life. Wow. Um, and into his retirement, he operated a you know one of these kind of um, sanctuary things, um, nature things up at Yarrahappany. Mm. Did that for many, many years. Oh, go ahead. And him. would take um, take kids, you know, on tours in the bush and do bird calls. He would be the best. Like, you know how there some people do tours and they tell you about stuff? He would be the best. She'd be like, oh, he can speak to the animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a bit of a, a, bit of a, uh, a legend in the bird call community. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a very big community, but, um, <laughs> but the magpie, that's a really, really hard one to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, to me, it's a it wobble. sounds the same. It is, yeah. But maybe maybe it's not fully accurate, but I was like, that's that's pretty good. I would think that was a magpie. If I didn't see you, I'd totally think that was a bird. Yeah, so I was like, well done you. Good one, Mark. I think his name is Mark. Anyway, another story. Um, recently in Iowa, there were some hectic storms. Um, and there was this one man, he was a paraplegic. Um, sorry, yeah, he was a paralyzed man, and um, his two sisters live with him and take care of him. And there was this... Storm with, I think the winds were like 100 miles per hour or something. Massive, like four massive trees fall on his property. They wreck his privacy fence. It's just, it's a mess. So whereabouts was this again? Just um, Was this big Iowa? one? Was, oh, okay, Iowa, yeah. 
uh-huh. just says that the Roosevelt High School team... So basically what happened is the Roosevelt High School team... Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. One of the sisters went to the neighbour and said, hey, can we borrow a chainsaw? And the neighbour was like, you need more than a chainsaw. And lo and behold, they have 30 of the football players who came around and help. And in three hours, they cleaned up the whole place. And, um, you know, the sister was, of course, broke down in tears, whereas Ray, who was the paralysed man, he goes, oh, yeah, like, go Rough Riders, which is their team. And um, one of the high school seniors was just like, that's just really what people in Iowa do. We help each other out. Nice. Just real simple. He's like, yeah, of course. Needs to be done. These are some big trees. You got thirty people. Thirty thirty people for three hours. Those are some seriously big trees right there. Yeah. And they had more than one chainsaw, I can guarantee that. For sure. (laughs) That's fantastic. It was always good to hear about people just doing good things in their community to make the world a better place. Absolutely. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mini. Yes. Who do we who do we have on the phone this morning? Big brother. (laughs) Chris. Chris Freinfelder. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Ah, oh, yeah. There we go. Now we get the uh, yep. get your microphone switched on. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you, Will? Yeah, doing well. Hey, um, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, we've been enjoying having Minnie as a part of the breakfast show here for uh, what six weeks now, something like that. Oh, I don't know. Could be. A I don't fair know. while. <laughs> I lose track of time. And we thought we would meet more of the family, so we thought, uh, yeah, let's get let's get Chris on the show. Chris, we'd like to hear a bit about your story this morning, and uh, I guess your journey of faith. Um, you've taken a, a a different journey, a different path to many, uh, but have spent a lot of time and and continue to serve God in various different ways. But let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about the home that you grew up in. Uh, Chris, did you grow up in a uh, in a Christian home? Uh, yeah, well, I was super privileged. Um, uh, I'm very fortunate to grow up in, in a home that um, really encouraged me to seek out faith for myself. Um, for example, mum... Mum got a Bible. I can't remember what age, um, but it was. She really encouraged us to read it for ourselves, um, rather than you have to do it. Because as a family, we're a Christian family. Therefore, this is what you have to be. It was always in the context of, look, this is what we believe, but you need to you need to look into it for yourself. Find it out for yourself. Um, there were some advantages. I have a little bit of a competitive nature, um, which meant you, we have something called Sabbath school that I grew, grew up with, um, and there was lots of Bible quizzes. So winning those quizzes was also a great fuel to like help me really get into the Bible at a young age, because like I wanted to win. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it was very fortunate to have that, um, and that continued um, throughout my entire life, really. Um, just having parents who encouraged me to look, look into it for myself, um, to make my own decisions for myself, um, but also being exposed to some fantastic Christian examples. Um, Mum, in particular, uh, really encourage practical Christianity as well um, and dad dad in his quiet way was also doing it 
Um, so it wasn't just a belief system that I had beliefs and then I had life was disconnected from those beliefs, but it was really about connecting um, what I did with my belief system so that it was kind of part and parcel. It was like a full lifestyle rather than just, um, yeah, two mm. separate things. So, so Chris, I think a lot of parents that are listening in would feel a little bit scared, maybe a little bit nervous about that approach to raising children. I mean, speaking from a parent's perspective myself, um, when you have children, there's probably nothing more that you want than to see them raised in a knowledge of the Lord and, be, and to become followers of God. Your parents mm. took a risky approach. I think many parents would see it as being risky, like you need to find this for, you, for yourselves. I see other parents who take the approach of, you know, no, we are Christians and I'm going to make sure that my children become Christians and that, you know, they never leave the church and never leave the faith. Do you think that uh, your parents took too big of a risk or do you think they did exactly the right thing? Um, well, you are also talking to a risk taker himself, Lyle. So, um, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, look, it, as you were talking, or even, I was like, man, mum and dad did take a huge risk um, in doing that. Um, but I think realistically, if you have a look at it, God takes a massive risk with us. Um, like, God himself never forces anyone in this world to be a Christian, he, um, I actually got to listen to a sermon on Sabbath and I was looking at, like when Jesus was on earth, he always just presented the evidence and then kind of stepped back and let people make their own decisions. Um, and when, like, and he did everything he could to ensure that that evidence was there before them to make that choice to accept him as the Messiah or not. So, look, it was a huge risk, but I actually, and this could just be my risk taker talking out, um, but it's usually the the biggest risks bring back the biggest rewards, um, and that's even true in the business sense and the investment sense. Like, it's hard because you let go of control. I think you, as humanity, we like to stay in control, but... When we empower other people, that's when when uh, the biggest rewards and the biggest results actually take place. That's fantastic. Did you, you know, growing up in that environment, your parents are giving you freedom, your parents are giving you uh, role models to follow. Yep. Did you always have an experience that was your own experience or with, with God or was your experience somewhat tied to your parents and then moved to a personal experience at some point in your life? Oh, look, at a very, very young age, I think it was partially because it was our parents' experience. Like, obviously, as a little toddler, as a very young kid, probably up to the age of probably like five or six, there's an element where you are just, you know, tacking on to your parents' experience because you you are kind of too young to kind of think that out for yourself. Um, but 
probably from that age onwards, I would like definitely say uh, it was on my own experience, which probably uh, added to my parents' grey hairs at times. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we've all done that um, at times. Yeah. Um, like, you know, mum didn't buy us the Bible before we were able to read. So there was definitely an age where we had to be able to at least read for ourselves. Um, and there are some big words in the Bible too. So, um, but, so I would have said it would have been around six or seven that we got, got that first Bible and we were really encouraged to seek it out for ourselves. Um, so yes, there would have been an element of just hacking on from my parents, but from memory wise, the things going back into my memory lane where I can kind of remember of what it was, they were always our own experiences. Um, I mentioned earlier, like the practical Christianity side of things, like mum and dad were always involved in things. So they would get us involved in those things at a much earlier age and say where we could read and sit down and look at the Bible for ourselves. You know, it's, you can still get a three or four year old to come and help someone who's in a less fortunate position than you. Um, and that is, and that becomes a part of their own experience, even though the parents are bringing them along on that journey. Mm. Um, and, and teaching them about practical Christianity, um, even before they have the ability to understand, I guess, the, the more theological stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, Chris, you've lived a um, a life of service for God. When was there a particular point when you decided, you know, I'm going to uh, dedicate my life to serving God? I and mean, you've done that in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, was was there a particular point where you you sort of said, "Yep, you know what, this is going to be my life. I'm going to serve God. Um, I'm going to, you know, use my skills to share Jesus with people around me in, you know, all the different areas that you've um, worked in." Um. I probably wouldn't say there was a specific point. Um, I've, I've, at a young, I probably would have been around 15 or 16, um, just the environment I did, um, the people, the, the church, the Christians that I was around, they did kind of this feel of like worship was a part of what you did at church. Um, and, I mean, something deep down that didn't make sense to me. And to me, worship was a lifestyle. Like, everything you do is an act of worship in some way. Um, whether that's turning up to work, um, turning up to work on time, doing the best you can while you're at work, um, whether that's, you know, simply opening a door for someone or... Um, like every act that you do is an act of worship. So, because I had that at a maybe not a young age, but a younger age, I guess it's never like okay, I want to serve God in this way. It was how do I serve God in just how and what I do in a day to day basis. Um, I definitely had. A moment. Um, I finished my apprenticeship. Um, 
I had carpentry skills and I was pretty keen to go and use them in some way. Um, and I also do a couple of mission trips called Flying Builds where we go and do some building projects um, in places who didn't necessarily have the funds or the skill set to create some of those projects. Um, but to be honest, I feel like they, that was more God trying to like change my heart and my mind and my understanding and looking at things and it was actually serving the people there. But I think big picture, it's still a part of, you know, worship the lifestyle. It, it might simply be you're at the shops and you say something kind to someone and they've just had a really bad day. Um, Mm. My biggest challenge is learning how to to truly share Jesus through that. Um, that in my kind of words, people can see that it's Jesus, not Chris. That's, sure. that's where I I truly get challenged with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's kind of how I think. Um, so and hopefully, therefore, plays out. <laughs> So you mentioned that you did your apprenticeship in carpentry, but you also said you also mentioned earlier that you're a risk taker, and that has been, I guess, a major part of your ministry and a lot of what you, you've been doing. Um, how have you how have you used your uh, risk taking interest to be able to share with others and to serve and to serve here and you know serve other people around you? Um, sorry. I'm going to have to tell you in a nutshell, like, there's a whole story around uh, this as well, which is probably too long for just morning interview. But um, I wound up, um, actually, you weren't my boss, but you're kind of my boss. I came and did some Bible work in Sydney. I finished that up. And after that, I kind of sat and was praying, like, all right, God, where do you want me? I'm back in the... Uh, building industry. I don't really know what's going on. I've been praying for a while and got some opportunity to um, engage in some adventure therapy, um, which is essentially using camping trips, um, risky activities like abseiling, rock climbing, um, those sorts of activities, working with um, those who, due to the circumstances in life, have put them in a more—they're more acceptable to worst outcomes in life, um, whether that's poverty or you know substance abuse or something like that. So, I wound up getting into that um, and spending a bit of time there, and then from there, God opened a whole bunch of doors for me to go and study and actually get qualified in outdoor recreation. Um, that's allowed me to interact with huge amounts of people. Um, it has let me travel a little bit. Um, and I think that, honestly, the biggest um, thing in that that I've seen is that because I live my life differently to the world around me, um, 
it raises questions in people's minds and they're like, you're different. There's something different about you. Um, what is it? Um, I honestly think that has been the biggest element um, in in my ministry there. Yes, risk-taking is awesome. I think it's, it's a big part of who God is. Um, and, it's, and it's allowed me to sit and meet with people in really different settings um, <laughs> some really different settings which I guess I wouldn't have had the, the ability to have those interactions um, had I not been a risk taker mm. Chris uh, would love to uh, spend some more talk, time talking to you about uh, some of those risk taking adventures that you have uh, been on in your ministry to other people um, particularly through Outdoor Rec and so forth, but unfortunately we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so it is now time for... Question of the Day. And what's our question of the day today? Our question of the day today is, where did the gift of prophecy... Why did the gift of prophecy disappear during the Dark Ages? Part two. This is part two. Yeah, it is kind of part two from uh, from last week. Okay, so if you look at the gift of prophecy, you find the gift of prophecy in the Bible. You find uh, people who have a lifelong calling in the gift of prophecy, um, obviously starting from when they were called, not from when they were born, but a lifelong ministry in prophecy. Mm. You also have the example of people who have individual visions and dreams. So we're talking about you know people who have a lifelong ministry of prophecy. We find that right the way through the Bible. We find it right the way through into the early church with the authors of the New Testament and so forth. And then it disappears. Mm. And the question is why? Now, we can understand why it disappeared if we study the history of God's people and we look at occasions in the past where it disappeared as well because there has not always been the gift of prophecy. And so we're going to look at the reasons, the circumstances that surrounded those time periods when the gift of prophecy did disappear. And to understand it, we're going to look at a principle called the law and the prophets. You will find that from one end of the Bible to the other, the law and the prophets are spoken of together. Yes. They're not separated from each other. So we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah chapter 26. And we will start here in verse 4. The Bible says, You shall say unto them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have sent you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent you. So listen to my law, listen to the prophets, the law and the prophets, they go together, those two things in harmony with each other. Uh, Whom I've sent you, rising up early and sending them. Then I will make this house like Shiloh. Shiloh was destroyed, so I'm going to destroy this temple. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so the condition for the prosperity of God's people was two things. One, they had to keep the law. Two, they had to listen to the prophets. Yep. Now, the law is super simple. There are Ten Commandments that is very, very basic, uh, and it is really easy for anyone to understand. A toddler can memorize it and also understand it. Mm-hmm. The words of the prophets are next level. You know, particularly someone like Paul or Ezekiel or someone like that can be definitely next level when it comes to understanding the Bible. And so what God is saying in, in, in many ways is, okay, start with the law. Just do that. It's real easy. <laughs> Once you've done that, this is step one, then step two, listen to what the prophets have to say. 
But what happens if you can't do step one? Is God? Is there any any point in God speaking to us through the prophets if we can't do if we are incapable of following step one? Mm. And so they didn't keep the law, and they didn't listen to the prophets. And if you turn over to um, Lamentations chapter two and verse nine, Lamentations, which is the next book of the Bible, which is a really easy one to skip over because it's kind of tiny. Lamentations 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, Her gates are sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her, gent- and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Mm. And the prophets find no vision from God. So when the Lord disappears, the prophets find no vision. Mm-hmm. And this is a principle that you're going to find right through the Bible. Wherever you go, once the law is done away with, the gift of prophecy disappears with it. Uh, flicking over a few more pages, chapter 7, verse 26 uh, where are we? Chapter 7 and verse 26. That's right. Mischief shall come upon mischief. Rumor shall be upon rumor. Then they shall seek a vision of the prophet. The law shall perish from the priest and can counsel from the ancient. They're looking for a vision. They're not getting one. Why? Because the law has gone. And when the law was done away with during the dark ages, then the gift of prophecy mm. disappeared. But the Bible says at the end of time that the law will return. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the gift of prophecy is what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. So much more we could talk on on that one. So many other verses and examples we could look at. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.